found your place, if you'd like to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God this morning, Luke chapter number 13, verse number 22. You'll see that as this scripture opens up, you see that the Lord Jesus has been rebuked by some of the religious crowd here for healing a woman on the Sabbath day. And as you move on into the scripture, the Lord's traveling towards Jerusalem in verse 22. As he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem, then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Well, you better let that sink in this morning. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We've eaten and drunk in thy presence. Thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Verse number 23, Then said unto him, One unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved. If God will help me this morning for just a few minutes today, I want to talk to you on the subject, Lord, are there few that be saved. As you watch this scripture come unfold this morning, you see the question, Lord, are there few that be saved? There was a prevailing thought here, and that thought was this based on the scriptural understanding of a remnant doctrine. Of all the at least two million or so plus Jews or Hebrews, if you will, that came out of Egypt's bondage, only two, Joshua and Caleb, are the only ones that set foot in the promised land. Isaiah chapter number 1 says, Except the Lord of hosts, should have left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom and should have been likened unto Gomorrah. Matthew chapter number 13 in the parable of the sower very clearly lays out a pattern and a very vivid picture and illustration of the church age and the dispensation that you and I live in today. Now look up here. Now listen to me this morning. According to God's book, According to God's holy word, God drew us a picture in Matthew chapter 13 that shows us that of those who hear the gospel preached in truth, in the anointing of the Holy Ghost of God, men who sit and hear the truth, only 25% ever produce fruit. This book teaches that 75% of those who ever really hear the gospel and truth will turn their ear and die and go to hell. Now you let that sink in just a minute. You think about what I'm saying. 
If you look around this congregation this morning, you need to understand as you look and shake hands and fellowship and let your eyes wander across the congregation as you are so apt to do. You bear in mind the fact that in this congregation this morning, the majority of folks sitting here this morning most likely are going to go to hell. Boy, you let that sink in a minute. Get a hold of what I'm telling you. Matthew chapter number 7, verse 13, the sweet Lord Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate. He said, Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Verse 14, he said, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and F-E-W, few there be that find it. This morning, the vast majority of people that you come in contact with, period, are going to go to hell. I remember a few short years ago, my precious little mama, I I don't know what she was thinking. I don't know if God was dealing with her at the time. I don't know. You'd have to ask her. But there came a time that my precious little mama looked at me and she said, Mike, you don't think anybody's saved, do you? Well, the honest fact of the matter is, no, I don't think there are many. And at the time, my precious little mother that asked that question was lost and on her way to hell. I'm telling you this morning, this book of God teaches most folks are going to go to hell. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that precious one asked the Lord Jesus, are there few that be saved? And the Lord Jesus Christ looked at him and said, strive to enter in. The word strive means to struggle. It means to fight or to labor fervently. By interpretation this morning, that word strive means to contend with an adversary. Now this morning I know and I understand that Satan is an adversary. I understand Satan presents great problems in your life, but Satan is not the biggest adversary you've got. I understand this morning that sin is a major contributor and sin is a major adversary, but sin is not the biggest problem you've got. This world system is against you. Do you realize today that in the advertising world, in Hollywood, on radio and television, everything you see and hear is designed to appeal to the lust of your flesh. But that is not the biggest adversary you've got. And the Lord Jesus said, strive or wrestle, or fight against an adversary. Who is the adversary that the Lord Jesus is telling you you're going to have to fight and struggle against before you ever get saved? Your own self. Your wicked, low-down, prideful heart in yourself is the biggest thing standing in the way of you in heaven's gates this morning. The Lord Jesus said, strive to enter in. 
there are three or four things I'll give you this morning real quickly that are things that I see in this scripture that let me know why people strive, but they did not get in the gate. The Lord Jesus said there are many that seek to enter in, and they are not going to get in. The Lord Jesus said there are a bunch that are going to try to get in, but they ain't getting in. Boy, you ain't going to hear that in most Baptist churches this morning. I'm just telling you that right now. But the Lord Jesus said it, so it's so. Let me give you some reasons that they'll try to go in and they will not get in. The Lord Jesus said in verse 25, When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, you begin to stand without and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. The first thing I see this scripture this morning is that they waited till it was too late. The door was already closed. They missed their golden opportunity like a lot of you are doing day by day in this building, missing your opportunity. There's a couple of doors that I mentioned to you this morning. First is the door of grace. The church age and the gospel age that we live in is an open door that the Lord Jesus promised to the church at Philadelphia. He said, Behold, I open the door. And he said, The door that I open, no man can shut. There is an open door this morning with respect to the fact that we're still able to preach the gospel. The Holy Ghost of God is still stirring and still working in our midst, and that is an open door. And if you're ever going to get saved, the time to get saved is while the door's open. There is coming night when no man worketh, and the Word of God teaches us there's coming a day. Very shortly, the sweet Lord Jesus is going to step out on the cloud and say come up hither and those that have been washed in the blood of Christ birthed into the family of God in a moment in a twinkling of an eye will be with the Lord Jesus Christ in there immediately pursue it to that the God of all love and the God of all creation that gave you that open door and gave you that opportunity when the door shuts The Word of God said God would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And as soon as the church is raptured out, buddy, the door's closed and you ain't getting in. I wonder how many of you have even listened in the news this week. There are two major players in end-time prophecy. After the church is gone, the rapture's taken place. They are Russia and Iran. Who are you hearing about every day on the news? Looks like somebody would wake up and understand, buddy, this thing's about over with. But I'm fixing to take off and get out of this mess. And I'm trying to help you while I'm here. But once I'm gone, I can't do a thing for you. I'm leaving here one day and it ain't going to be long. But I got some credit cards the Antichrist can have. I'm going to forget about them. I'm going on. But they waited too late. There's a door of grace, and that's the opportunity that men have to hear the gospel message to tenderize their heart. There's another door that God spoke of in Hosea chapter 2. God told Gomer, 
through Hosea that he had given her the valley of Achor for a door of hope. You say, Brother Mike, what does that have to do with? The valley of Achor, the word Achor means trouble. Do you realize this morning some of you are in a world of trouble? I mean, your family's in trouble, your finances is in trouble, your job's in trouble. It seems like your world is falling apart. Do you understand God has let that trouble come into your life to shake you up and wake you up and let you know you've got a need? You say, I wish God would just leave me alone, you'll go to hell. God's got to wake you up before you ever get in hell. Boy, I watched that door of conviction before the door of conversion ever comes. And I've seen some of you that sit in this building this morning. And some of you, as God begins to work that in you, God begins to work that conviction. We've got one precious lady that God had tore her up for one year before she ever got saved. We had one precious new convert in the last few weeks that said, Preacher Mike, God's been dealing with me for six months. Now I'm telling you, it takes time to break down men's hearts because men are not striving against Satan. They're not striving against sin in this world. They're striving against their own wicked hearts. What takes time? How many of you in this building remember going through what you went through? Some of you for months, some of you for a few short weeks, but all of you that ever got birth into the family of God went through that striving against yourself. But God gave you the valley of Achor for a door of hope that as long as God's bothering you, as long as God seems to be messing with your little world, there's hope. Isaiah chapter number 55 verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. James 4 8 said, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. But the first problem I see with those who sought to enter in and could not get in as they waited till it was too late. And the door was already closed. Because there's a natural compulsion inside of man when God begins to deal with you to draw back. That's why I see folks come in and God stirs their heart a little bit and God begins to deal with them. And they can't stand it and they got to run. they got to get away. we got to find somewhere else. I've heard every excuse in the book. The one lately is the church is too crowded and we all can't find a place to sit. But I'm going to tell you what. If you got an open heart and you're looking for some help, buddy, there's some sinners sitting here this morning. If this building is full, you'd come sit around this altar. If you thought God would get you some help, that ain't going to stand in your way. Hey, folks, look for any kind of flimsy excuse to get away. And there was another problem these folks had. There's another thing. They tried to get in their own way. After the door was already shut, the master of the house had already risen up and closed the door. They began to knock in their own strength and their own power and begin to say, Lord, Lord, would you let us in? We've developed a Burger King society in this generation that says, have it your way. If it feels good, do it. Men have got to the place where they say, I don't need God right now. 
Maybe later when I get married, I'll get saved. Or maybe later when I've got children, I'll get saved then. Maybe when I've made all the money I want to make, then maybe I can get saved and think about God then. The men in this generation we live in will burn the candle of life at both ends. And while they burnt that candle at both ends and they've lived it up, they reach a place where they're no longer physically able to go after the lust of the flesh anymore. And they take that candle and blow the smoke in God's face and say, okay, God save me now. But I'll tell you what, many fail to realize that man is not in control of salvation. The salvation of God and the call of God is a sovereign, supernatural call. God did not leave the monkeys in charge at the zoo. Salvation's not a bus that runs your route and you just make a little decision to go out and hop on one day and take a ride. But you'll get saved when God's calling you. You'll go God's way or you'll go to hell. Hey, listen, God would let every sinner in this building this morning die and scream in hell before God will change his mind about how he saves men. God's going to save you his way or you ain't getting in. You say, Preacher Mike, if there's a better way, I'd take it. Listen, if there's a better way, you'd go ahead and take it. But there ain't no better way. There's not another way. It comes through Christ. And God has to work faith and repentance in a man's heart. Hey, you ain't in control. God's got to work faith and repentance in a man or a woman's heart. And that's God's way of doing this thing. As a matter of fact, this morning, this whole county and most of the religious world that I know anything about suffers from a profound ignorance of what Bible salvation really is. I mean, we got a bunch of so-called Baptist preachers, and some of them may be real good fellas. And I ain't throwing rocks this morning. I'm just calling it like I see it. There are churches in this county that are absolutely full of people that think you can just get saved anytime you want to. It's up to you. All you've got to do is go bow down the altar and say, God, I'm a sinner. Would you save me? And hocus pocus, you're saved. But if they miss out on the big picture of understanding the work of God in the heart of a man before he ever saves somebody by his grace. And finally, this morning, the number three thing that I see is the reason that they later strove to get in the door and could not get in. Why didn't they take their opportunity while they had it? Listen to what they told the Lord Jesus. Then shall you begin to say, You have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. These people were so ignorant that they believed because they had been around in close proximity to and adjacent to the movement of God, therefore they must be saved. Hey, listen, you can get in this altar and pray with every repentant sinner coming and going still die and go to hell. Don't matter how close you get. If you ain't in, you ain't in. And their problem was they thought they was already in. And it was totally unfounded. I'm fixing to tell you a story you ain't some of you ain't even gonna believe. You won't think I made this up, and I didn't. I could take you to where it happened, I could take you to the piece of land. Several years ago there was a man in close distance inside this county. 
he went to a wealthy businessman who owned a large piece of property near him. And he went to that businessman and he said something to this effect. He said, I'd like to buy that piece of land that you have here. And he said, if you would, he said, I'd like that piece of land. You, uh, you think about it and get back with me, but whatever you want for it, just let me know. And that businessman said, well, he said, it, it ain't exactly for sale. But being the businessman that he was, he said, you do realize that's a valuable piece of property. This gentleman looked at him and says, I know it is. And he said, but money's no object. He said, I want that piece of property. And if you'll just get back with me and let me know, we'll work things out with the attorneys a little later. I want that piece of land. That businessman looked at this gentleman who apparently didn't have two nickels to rub together, and he said, well, if you don't mind my asking, he said, uh, have you come into some money or what? And said that feller kind of looked at him with one of them looks and said, uh, you heard of the publishers clearing house sweepstakes? That businessman said, yes, I have. He said, well, I got the official letter in the mail the other day. And uh, I've made it to the final few. He said, it's going to be coming through for me just any day. You say, they can't nobody be that big a moron. But there's people that sit in this building this morning, and you think you're going to go to heaven. And you have absolutely no founded proof whatsoever to believe you're going to heaven. And you think that man's a fool for trying to buy land with his publishers clearing house sweepstakes that he ain't won. This morning, let me just give you some things. I wonder, and I can't help but wonder this, what kind of foolish, flimsy things do people base eternity on? Let me ask you four things real quick this morning. We'll go to the house. What can you testify of this morning? Of the convicting work of repentance in your heart? What can you testify of this morning of how God worked in your life and worked in your heart and brought you to a place of real biblical repentance where God brought you to a place where you were willing to abandon your world and reach for Jesus Christ. Hey, some of you could stand up this morning. There ain't a doubt in my mind. There's ladies I could point you out some men this morning. I could point you out and you could go back and say I remember God working in my life and God tired my world up and God get me to a place where I was ready to repent. Is that part of what you base your salvation on this morning? That's what you ought to be looking at. Number two, how about the exercising of childlike faith? How about going back to a place where God let you trust Him and the burden of sin rolled off of you. Then you can go back to a place where you remember that it was that place God filled you with joy. God took away the guilt. and God took away the shame and gave you a peace that you never knew anything about. Miss Amanda, would you have any trouble this morning telling anybody where that took place at? Miss Lori, would you have any trouble telling anybody where that took place this morning? Brother Wesley, do you know? Could you take somebody between the two benches where it happened for you? Miss Francis, could you take somebody to the kitchen table where it happened? I mean, do you have a place in your life you can go back to and nail her down and 
say right there. It's where God changed my life. God gave me peace in a little old bathroom, right, Brother Jesse? Amen. Well, you've got you a place somewhere. What are you basing your salvation on? Some little two before prayer you prayed? Or have you got the real goods? I mean, you got the real stuff. Number three, how about a witness of the Holy Ghost of God? God gave the Holy Ghost to God to be a comforter. He gave him to be the sweetest, tenderest, best friend you've ever known. Hey, do you know what it is when you're troubled in your spirit and you're troubled in your heart to steal away somewhere in the dark and just cry like a baby to your heavenly father and feel God reach down and put his sweet, tender arms around you and let you know everything's going to be all right. I mean, have you ever known, maybe in a little prayer meeting, maybe two or three, maybe a half a dozen together, and the presence of God came in and filled your soul with joy and drew you to Him. I'm going to tell you one reason. Some of you ought to know you're lost this morning. The Holy Ghost of God's a comforter. Why is it when some of you get around the preaching of the Word of God, you feel like you've got to defend yourself? Why do you feel like that? Brother Jason is Brother Jason's my friend. I love him. Brother Jason calls me every day just to check in. Just say, Preacher, I love you and just want you to know I think thinking about you and well I'm just glad God saved me. Brother Jason, I have never one time felt like I ever needed to defend myself against you. Are you listening? Why is it some of you, when God gets around and the Holy Ghost gets to moving and the preacher gets fired up, you feel like you've got to go in defense mode? Huh? Huh? Why is that? Why is that? It's because instead of a friend, you're at war with God. Boy, you get a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Boy, I like to see a friend coming. I like to see old brother Tim's little old car come riding down the driveway. I like to see old brother Westy's pickup come down the driveway. I like to see brother Jody, some of these other fellas come down the driveway. Miss Lord loves to see a man's little old Jeep come down the driveway because when you got a friend, you're glad when you see them coming. I thank God when the Holy Ghost gets around, I don't go on the defenses. Some of you do. Why is it right now in your heart? In your heart right now you stubbed up. Well, I remember some of you before you got saved, and I ain't going to embarrass you and hurt your feelings, but I remember some of you before you got saved, and I'd get around you, Sister Lord, get around you, there's a wall that go up. You can just about see it. Use one of them. Wall went up. Guess what? Ain't no wall no more. It's because you ain't offended by that no more. Because you're not offended by God anymore. And boy, I like it when I see God's little youngins with that witness of the Holy Ghost inside of them get to wanting to go to revival meetings and get around where God's at and go to prayer meetings. I'm asking, is there a witness of the Holy Ghost of God in you that draws you to the things of God? Now, every one of you that's got saved in the last two years, if you'd be honest, you'd say when God got around, it made you feel nervous. It offended you and it bothered you. Listen, if you're bothered by the Holy Ghost this morning, you're just lost. Number four, when and where did that profound change take place in your life? 
I mean, the time, the place where your life became so different that a blind man on a galloping horse could look at you and say, that is not the same one I knew. I have people all the time. I hear this all the time. People say something about my pastor, Mike Reeves. And somebody say, that must not be the Mike Reeves I knew. When your life change, that your buddies that you used to run with all of a sudden ain't interested in being your buddy no more because you're just different. There's just something different about you. Boy, I tell you what, there's some of you, you talk about a little old profession you made when you was 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. And I don't care how little you was, if you was 5 years old, 65, 95, or 105, if you ever got birthed into the family of God, that day you experienced that new birth, your whole world changed. Everybody around you changed. Hey, we got youngins in this congregation this morning get full of the Holy Ghost and can pray and God hears their prayers. Now, what's your problem? Your little old 2 by 4 profession ain't never lived for God, never had no power with God. I ain't never seen you full of the Holy Ghost. You ain't never had no prayers answered before because you ain't got nothing. Can you go back to that place where God changed your life for eternity? You ain't never been the same since. And the Word of God said that that man asked Jesus, are there few that be saved? You say, Preacher Mike, there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. You ain't got to be a brain surgeon to figure that out. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. The church is full of hypocrites. And I'm going to tell you what, there's some folks that sit around this building this morning. God changed your life and made you different. You'd be a fool to look at Miss Pat and not know God did something in that woman's life and changed her maker. You'd be a fool not to know that. Bo, what, too many months ago, you weren't interested in being here on Sunday morning. What happened? Something must have changed right or wrong. I'm going to tell you what, when God gets in a man's heart, you ain't going to be perfect. You're going to mess some things up in your life, but you'll never be what you used to be again. You'll never be the same again. And God will get glory out of your life. Amen.